0: The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. As Chris said, I am Daniel Groff. I'm one of the uh, pastoral interns here. And if you guys are new or you haven't been here with us very long, uh, we here at Fathom do have a routine of going through the Gospels during the summer. So, today I get the privilege of starting up this summer sermon series through the book of Matthew. Uh, Last summer we made it through the first 15 chapters, and today we're going to be starting in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, which can be found on page 822 of the Hard Black Bibles under your chairs. While you turn there, uh, let me ask you something What do you look forward to throughout the week? Yeah, no, okay. That, that, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Um, well, for myself, I am always actually looking forward to Saturdays. Uh, it's the day when my wife and I get to relax after a long week of work and school. And the best way to end the day, in my opinion, is to kick back and watch a movie with some good homemade popcorn. Right? Now, everyone's opinion of a good movie could be different. Um, for some of you guys, you might like Romance. Others of you might like comedy, some of you still might like action-adventure spy-thrillers. So, if you like any of these, I have a great movie for you, because it has it all, All alright? So, yes, romance, check, comedy, check, action-adventure, check, and spy-thriller, check. You might be thinking, no way does one movie have all of this. And, well, I guess, depending on your interpretation of each category, you might be right, The romance is actually a little bit more like a bromance uh, between two 100-plus-year-old guys. Uh, The comedy is a little more like witty banter. The action-adventure is a little slower-built, but it's definitely still there. And the spy thriller, though, definitely there with all the twists and turns you would hope for. All right. So any guesses? That's right, Captain America Winter Soldier. Great movie. (laughs) Has everything, all right? Now, you might be thinking to yourselves, how does this relate to church? Well, in the movie, right before the climax and all the action and the last fight between the 100-plus-year-old men, Captain America makes one big speech that draws a line between two conflicting spy groups and ignites the fight. In this inspirational speech, he has one line that says, The price of freedom is high, but it's a price I am willing to pay. That right there is deep. It's a commitment and a dedication that he's presenting to what he believes in. It's also something that we as believers are called to in the life of discipleship with Jesus, a commitment that is deep and personal, that we will, are willing to pay the price for it no matter how high. And so that's why I'm calling this sermon today, More Than Safety, Perfect Timing. Perfect <laughs> Timing. Okay, so as Chris always says... We're we're good? We're not burning down. All right. As Chris always says, I may lie to you, but the scriptures never will. So I'm going to take a step back for a second and say that in this passage we're going to read today, I believe that it explains some things that we are called to as believers, and they are more than safety. So if you have your Bibles, or if you're using a tablet, a phone, or borrowing one from here... Let's look and see what Jesus has to say about this, starting in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, let's pause there for a second. Because this is a really inviting thought, isn't it? Let me tell you, though, it is not meaning the generic cross necklace that you see people wearing all the time. All right? What do you guys actually think of when you hear the word cross? If you think historically, you were probably thinking of Roman brilliance, as this was a tool that was originated by the Persians and the Greeks, but perfected by the Romans and used for over 500 years as a tool of death and torture. It was designed in the way that they used it to draw out the process of death, usually causing it to take place over six hours, with the longest recorded one taking four days for someone to die. It was an object of shame. See, because people that were being killed were hung up naked and at eye level so that everyone could see everything happening. However, if you think symbolically, it was first used by the Egyptians as the symbol of life, which is cool because as Christians, we've claimed it as our universal symbol to remind us of the life-giving sacrifice of Jesus through his passion, death, and resurrection. So when Jesus is saying to take up his cross— He is not saying that life is going to be easy for the believer. See, the cross is something that can look different for everyone. You can carry a physical cross, which is where you might have chronic pain, or as Paul puts it, a thorn in your side. Or you know someone who does and you take care of them. You might carry a mental cross, where you might have a learning disability or mental health issues. You could carry an emotional cross, where you might deal with a lot of internal torment and struggle, or not be able to regulate your own emotions. But you can also carry a social cross, where you might be completely ostracized or cut off from family, friends, and your community because of your faith. And I believe that you can experience and carry more than one cross in your life, or even at one time. See, Jesus tells us in John 15, 18, that if the world hates you, to know that it is because it hated me first. And so this is where my first point comes in. More than safety, believers are called to take up. Now, to take up is to take a step of faith. This is to say that it is self-denying and following the steps of Jesus. But to take up is also a choice. It's something that we have to decide every day, consciously, to step into the position of a follower. It's deciding how we will respond every single day to the things happening around us. To take up is also a process. This is the idea of what is often called progressive sanctification. See, we as believers are in the process of becoming like Christ. As in Romans 8.29, it tells us that we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. And this doesn't happen all at once. This is a lifelong journey of trying to follow in the steps of Christ. And in his book, Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says to look at it from this perspective. Discipleship is often best understood as a journey, a direction, an orientation of one's life toward becoming like Christ. This can only be accomplished by following Christ. Bonhoeffer here is a great example of taking up his cross to follow Christ. See, he was a theologian in Germany during the strife and struggle of World War II. As a leader in the German Christian church, he had to watch as the majority of the church jumped on the bandwagon of the Nazi movement. He decided because of this to separate from the German church and started a new congregation called the Professing Church. He started to receive a lot of backlash for this, though including death threats to himself and his family. Realizing that significant change needed to happen and that just separating would not cause this needed difference, Bonhoeffer went on to make another decision that would change his life and the entire course of history as he decided to join a group plotting the assassination of Adolf Hitler. And he wasn't just someone who was supportive by word. No, he was an active participant on three different attempts. And this active defiance of Hitler ultimately led to Bonhoeffer's death in a concentration camp just two months before the Nazi regime surrendered. Now, in writings that have been found of his, sent to his fiancé while in jail, Bonhoeffer refers to both of these as instances of his crosses to bear. In separating himself from the German church, he claims to have borne the cross of being an outcast. And in deciding to assist in the attempts to assassinate Hitler he bore the cross of constant internal mental struggle. He debated within himself constantly if it was the right direction to go, as he knew that Hitler needed to be removed from power, but he also knew that murder was wrong. In the end, however, Bonhoeffer was more than happy to take these burdens in a pursuit of being conformed more into the image of God. Now hear me. I know that there are people in politics that we don't agree with, I know that there are people that we don't think should be in power anymore, or that to an extreme we might see as evil. However, by no means am I saying that to be a follower of Christ, we are called to take up a cross of assassination attempts on these people. (laughs) I can promise you that's not what we're called to. Rather, consider the idea of accepting separation and being ostracized for for, for not staying in line with culture and what your peers may be doing. Bonhoeffer accepted this cross, and this is expanded upon more by Jesus in the following passage. So look with me again at verses 25 through 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? (sighs) Okay. So this is a deeper, kind of scary and confusing sounding call. How can you lose and gain at the same time? And who would want to make a transaction with their life on the line? I want to present it in this way as an everyday transaction. When you buy something, you give up money to gain that item. And the value of the item determines what you give up for it. So what is being asked here is a sacrifice. Of our lives, maybe but not necessarily. Of the things we hold higher than our relationship with God, definitely. So this is where my second point comes in, in that more than safety, we're called to give up. That is to say that today's culture is always calling for more. More toys to make kids happier. More money to make life easier. More of the newest things, be it cars, clothes, shoes, to make you more relevant and popular. The world is always calling for more, and the value here is the cost of our lives. The things that you think on all the time, spend all your effort on getting and taking care of, can be all-consuming. These aren't necessarily bad things, but when they become idols, they become corrupted. But Jesus here is calling for us to give up, to give up our ideas that there is a need for comfort, to give up our ideas that there is a need to fit in to give up our ideas that there is something other than God that makes life worth it. When we're called to give up our life to gain it, it's a call to say yes to God and no to our own desires. A good example of this comes in the life of Steve Saint. His parents were missionaries with an organization called Mission Aviation Fellowship back in the 1960s. On one of his father's trips, he and four others were killed by a local tribe in Ecuador. Where no one would have blamed Steve and his family for wanting retribution against the men who did this, they decided instead to move in with the tribe and serve them, teaching them about Jesus and his sacrificial love for them. They chose to give up the feelings of resentment and take in the feelings of service. The tribe, through the work of the Spirit, through Steve and his family, would eventually be entirely transformed into relationship with Christ. And Steve was adopted by the man who put the killing spear in his father, and was later baptized in the river next to the beach his father died at. Years later, after leaving, the, leaving and having a family of his own, Steve was asked by the tribe to move in with them, and after ta- talking with his family, decided to give up everything they had and live with the Wadani. Now in an interview with Christian Broadcasting Network, Steve was asked why he was so willing to give up everything for the people, and especially after what they had done to his father. And he responded with this, what the Wadani meant for evil, God used for good. Given the chance to rewrite the story, I would not be willing to change it. Even though my dad's death was painful, and Kai would not have adopted me. Also, thousands of people who were stirred by the missionaries' deaths wouldn't not have dedicated their lives to helping take the gospel to unreached groups like the Donnie all over the world. See, the beauty of relationship with Christ is that we don't have to take up and give up on our own. We have a brother, we have a friend, and we have a good shepherd that understands what we are going through and encourages us to keep pushing through. Steve and his family would not have been willing to or able to sacrifice their sense of justice or their comfort for the the Wadani without the guidance of Jesus before them. And looking at his example, we can clearly see the hope that we have through all our struggles and what the struggles are all for. Jesus breaks this down further in the next two verses. So look with me again at verses 27 and 28. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, let me first step back and address the obvious here that this is a really crazy sounding statement. The second coming of Christ has not happened yet. And the disciples who walked with Jesus during his ministry are not still around. So I'm encouraging you not to go around asking everyone you know named Peter, James, and John what it was like to walk with Jesus while he was here doing ministry, okay? This is not referring to reincarnation so that your buddy Peter is not that Peter. Rather, commentators agree on three different ideas of what Jesus meant here. The first possibility is that Jesus was referring to his resurrection, when his physical body come, came back to life and was filled with more of his heavenly power. The second option is that Jesus was referring to his ascension. When his physical body rose up into the place of honor at the father's right hand in heaven. But the third and most likely option is that Jesus here was actually referring to his transfiguration. If this is the case, then that means that it's a preface for, what, for the events that takes place in the next chapter of Matthew, where Jesus presents himself to three of his closest disciples in his full heavenly kingdom form. Now, we won't see him like this until we're with him in heaven, but this can be extended to us, as there are very likely some of us who won't ta- could be some of us who won't taste death, before Jesus comes again to establish his kingdom here on earth. And at that time, Jesus says that he will reward appropriately for what people do. So here's my last point. More than safety, Christians are called to receive reward. Now, if Chris were up here preaching, he would probably try to call this point level up to keep with kind of an upward theme that we've been having go here. Uh, But to me, that seemed a little bit too much like a video game, so I'm sticking with Receive Reward. And this itself has to do with works. But listen, works are not how we are saved. They do, however, identify where allegiance is and result in rewards. These rewards can look differently. See, taking up and giving up both identify works that have value towards the future. So the reward for that is in the future when Christ returns. It's a reward for endurance, for fighting the good fight and finishing the race, as 2 Timothy 4 refers to. But we can also have a present reward that we experience now, a reward of not going about life alone. This is a reward of deeply knowing and experiencing the presence of God. What might this look like? Well, in Soviet Romania in 1944... The government began rounding up Christians, ordering them to be tortured until they would deny their faith and executed if they would not. George Calcu, who was an Orthodox youth minister, began giving lessons to Romanian youth on the basics of Christianity. And because of this, he would eventually be arrested, tried, tortured, and finally condemned to death. Through all of his suffering, though, George claimed that he was experiencing the deep presence of Christ in the midst of it all. When the day came for George to be executed, he was miraculously instead sentenced to exile and was released from prison, where he came to the U.S. and served in a small parish in Virginia for the rest of his life. Now I tell you this whole story simply for this following quote. In an interview on his time in prison, George had this to say, Christ did not come into the world to eliminate suffering. Christ didn't even come into the world to explain it. He came to fill human suffering with his presence. And that is why where suffering is great, there Christ is greatly with us. If you want to feel the presence of God, go into the hospitals. There you will see the suffering of children, the suffering of old people. The presence of God and the presence of Jesus Christ is in all their suffering. When Christ came into the world, he suffered with me, and he suffered with you. Can you imagine how much dignity he gave to human suffering to suffer with us and to fill our suffering with his presence? That is such beautiful wording, the dignity he gave to human suffering. What assurance we can have in our suffering, knowing that the God of the universe is in it with us. The same God does not deem suffering to be below him. He came and he embraced it, and therefore justified it and redeemed it by, as George says, coming and filling human suffering with his presence. We can experience him more and his presence fuller in our suffering. See, the thing about experiencing God's presence is that it can take different forms in our lives. One of the more common, I believe, is that, his pe- is that of his people around us. God's presence is felt in times of sorrow, pain, suffering, and isolation when his people come around each other to bring support, love, and comfort. And our family experienced this through a time of sorrow and fear recently. So I have an older sister who got married last year to an awesome guy that Em and I are very thankful to call our brother as well. We, they have a sweet relationship and are a great part of our family. And at the beginning of this year, they added to their little family by having a precious baby girl named Talitha. She is the cutest little thing and one of the most expressive babies I have ever seen. But I might be a little biased, so you guys tell me. She's pretty great. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, so M and I had the chance to go out to South Carolina in January when she was born and be there with our family to celebrate. Now, Talitha had had some breathing issues when she was first born, so she had to spend her first night in the NICU being observed, but was released back to the room with her parents the next day. So we all got to be around celebrating, holding her, and just enjoying the newest little member of our family. We had been there all day, went around dinner time. She started getting fussy. So my sister took her to feed her. And as we all watched, Tally stopped breathing and went limp. What had just been thought to be breathing problems turned out to be the signs of an infection that quickly shut her little system down. For the next month, she was in the NICU being monitored and pumped with antibiotics to get better, and we all spent the whole time in prayer and just being there for each other. But what really stood out was the people that came around us and reflected God to us in that time. Friends, family, Even my professors at seminary and some of you all here did everything that they could, whether it was just sitting in the hospital with us and praying, bringing food to the house for us, or giving extensions on assignments and praying from afar. And the Lord used his people to bring hope. We experienced hope in our suffering and fear because the Lord's people stepped up and the Lord's presence was therefore felt. And that's what I really want to encourage us all in here is hope. The cost of discipleship is high, and we are called to more than safety in following Christ. But in it all, we're called to hope in that suffering. See, when we take up and when we give up, we receive rewards. And these rewards in the present are the rewards of being blessed with the presence of God. The reward of being blessed with the church and the community that it brings, and especially the hope that we have in our suffering because of these two blessings. This is a hope that stems from the fact that we know in the end we have a Lord that is present, and he is the one that will win the day. And that is what I pray for you all, is hope. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that through our following of you, we don't do it alone and that you walk with us every step of the way. Thank you for your example of coming to earth and just being the good brother and the good shepherd that we needed to know how to live a life after you. Lord, we pray for the hope and we pray for the endurance and the encouragement for each other and through your love to live every day living for you. All this we pray in your name, Lord, amen.